Welcome back to season two of Behind the Counter. I'm Christine DeVita, and from across the Hudson River is my longtime friend and business partner, Keith Hancock. Today's episode, Nuclear Labor Costs, we discuss lab-grown meat, supply chain, restaurant price increases, and how to hire, retain quality candidates and employees. Let's dig right into it tonight. Um, really growing meat now, and there's been a lot of talk and a lot of movement as to what this is going to look like. Um, you know, cultivated meat is a meat produced directly from the cells. Right. A lot of people know that. Um, the process of cultivate, cultivating meat uses basic elements needed to build muscle and fat and enables the same biological process that happens inside an animal. Mm-hmm. Cultivated meat is identical to conventional meat at the cellular level. I'm not a scientist. I don't know what the hell all that means. I have no idea. It sounds interesting, though. It sounds um, weird. That's what it sounds. They need to market it better. It, but it oh, just yeah. sounds weird. It sounds very weird. It's going to be a tough sell. I it think. is. Because once you start um, marketing something as being genetically engineered, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'll be the first one to tell you I'm not going near it. Neither would I. Because you don't know what the long-term effects are. You know, mm-hmm. like this shit will be causing cancer in 10 years. Next thing you know, yeah, exactly. tumors growing out of your friggin' necks. Yeah. You don't know. Um, and I'd rather let other people be the guinea pig, but I do believe that this is going to definitely have its place. How will it fit into the landscape? Well, you know, time will tell. I can, so part of what their marketing is, sorry, I'm going off on tan, is that you'll be able to buy meat cheaper, which obviously is partially what we're looking for now because yeah. everything's a million dollars because of the amount of money that it takes to cost to feed one cow. And all of that is factored into the price. Every sing, Every single cow that's on a ranch has basically almost like a, um, like an account opened up for it. You know what I mean? And they track how much gets fed, how much gets maintained, how much to house it. And all that's factored into the cost of people. People don't realize that. And then the gas and all that other stuff. So they're saying that cultivated meat could potentially, it probably won't come cheaper, but it could be something down the road as a tool to help level off or cap pricing when food costs are rising for people. We'll see. So I, I mean, I think the biggest question is, is how much healthier is it going to be? Right? right. So they're saying there are fewer antibiotics and environmental impacts on lab grown meats, right? Which mm-hmm. will control your cholesterol, adding in heart healthier fats, so on and so forth, such as omega-3 fats mm-hmm. and fatty fish. Right. So now let's be clear on what this all means, Right. Lab-grown meat is not vegan. I think we need to put that out there right away. Yeah. Lab-grown meat is not vegan. For a product mm-hmm. to be classified as suitable for a, fe- a vegan diet, it must not contain animal products or byproducts, and it can, can't be tested on animals. So lab-grown meat is created by growing animal cells taken from high-quality livestock animals. So. Um, this genetically modified meat is not vegan. Supply chain update. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure what you've heard, but restaurant menu prices have obviously gone up. Right. Everywhere across the board. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not a penny pincher. I should be. I would have probably have a lot more money, but I'm not. But I, I, I am now, you know, gas I noticed. I used to look at gas. Oh, that's going up a dime. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? What? Oh, milk's what? 20 more cents? 
friggin' gallon, who who the f cares? Or eggs are expensive. That's all I'm but saying. Now, yeah, now that I'm an old man at 42, not really old man yet. I erase those words. But I noticed that I do buy the same shit at ShopRite. You know what I mean? The same fucking deodorant, the same whatever yep. the hell it is I buy that I buy bi-weekly, almost like on a program. And now I notice that shit's about $30 more than it used to be. Yep, absolutely. And that's 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 what I'm noticing. So um, back up to supply chain. So restaurant menu prices hit a fresh 40-year high in June, according to the federal data released Wednesday, and soaring inflation led to continued increase in the amount operators charge their customers. This we know. Food away from home prices this past June was up 0.9%, which is pretty significant. Yes. Um, especially if you're a, a middle-class, the lower middle-class family trying to f- even go to McDonald's, you'll feel You're going to feel it. You're definitely yep. going to feel it. Labor statistics, 7.7% up over last year. It's the highest rate since 1981. That was lower than overall inflation, which itself hit a 40-year high of, point, of 9.1% in June. Right. Much higher than expected, economists had said. Um, this rate is likely to force the U.S. Federal Reserve to continue with aggressive increase in interest rates and blah, blah, blah. Um, Fed's target 2% annual inflation. So for restaurant operators, increased rate rages mean, and I know all our listeners that operate restaurants know, it means that food cost is going to have to go up. Listen. Supply chain shortages and pricing increases, um, they're starting to stabilize a little bit. Yep. Okay. They are. They are. So, yeah. starting to stabilize. Midterm. Starting to stabilize. Put that under. Exactly. So uh, restaurants are going to finally feel some relief. Uh, right. We're seeing prices decrease a bit, uh, even with infl- inflation, and there's some, you know, stability but you know it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a little bit of a roller coaster for the next couple of months. We're gonna oh, see what, what's gonna happen. But you know, listen. Some advice for restaurant owners out there and operators: look at your numbers, man. Look yeah. at your numbers. Understand your P and L. Look at your food costs. Look at your invoices. You know, review every few months your menu prices. You could make it work. You're making and people get... pay for credit card fees right up front. I I have a problem with that. They bang it right on. My barber did it to me the other day. For I have the first a problem time. with that. Yeah. Nope. We, tell me why. I have a problem with that because it's not the customer's responsibility to pay for you utilizing their credit card. They're already paying an APR to utilize their credit card. That's a good point. Okay. So why is it that I have to go out and it's convenient for me to utilize my Amex or my Apple card or whatever it is. And then I have to be charged on top of that from a restaurant. No, get your, get, get your shit in order, raise your prices, do whatever you have to do. That stuff. I don't get mad at. Like I won't shy away from a restaurant because they've increased the menu prices because I understand, you know what I'm saying? But once you penalize a customer because they want to use their credit card, I have a problem with you. Yeah. I think that's bad business. I do agree. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. At least hide it into the prices. It did right. take me by surprise when, when my, I'd be going to the same barber. He's right outside of Penn Station, right yeah. across the street from Macy's on 33rd. And um, I think I know the barber you're talking about. You, you might. 
It did not bother me as much because, A, I know this guy. I've literally been going there since I started working at Pret. That was the first place I ever got a haircut in New York City, and I've done oh, it. Oh, wow. And I know he really took it up the you-know-what and lost a lot of money. So it's like I don't mind supporting him, but it was still a little off-putting. Yeah. Um, and I will still continue to go there because I do like him. But, you know, you made a really good point that I didn't think of. I pay American Express $500 every April just for the privilege of having an American Express card. Yep. They bang it on my bill. Yep. You know, so and now that's... you have to pay uh, an upcharge if you use your credit card anywhere. Yeah, depending on where you go. I think it's ridiculous. I really think it is. But listen, get rid of that fee for people to utilize their credit cards because, yeah. unfortunately – Cash is going away. I don't carry cash with me. I haven't carried cash in three years. I never do. Maybe ten bucks. If that, if there's like three or four dollars in my armrest in my in my car, that's the extent of cash that I'm carrying. Yeah. But I don't yeah. want to be penalized. I don't think anybody I, else wants to be penalized for utilizing their credit card. I just don't. But I'll tell you what, my old man cheap ass. When the gas prices were getting up to five, I was mm-hmm. hitting up that ATM and paying cash before I got there. Really? Throw, throw a lot of gas stations it. around here were doing same price cash credit. Oh, uh, no. Jersey some was relief. everywhere. In some places, it was like 20%, 20 to 30 cents less on the gallon. Really? Yeah. But I usually buy Costco gas. You know, it's whatever. Pretty Listen, I got a Costco a card. I do. I have the, I have, we have the business membership. Yeah. So, but I've I never, I I've never went there and bought, and bought gas. Really? Not once have I you ever should. gone there and bought gas. No. It's actually I very have. cheap. Really? So I'm gonna pay. I'm gonna pay cheaper than three oh nine because if that's the case, I'll go and fill my car up with super. I don't know what they're at right now. I think it was around three when I went for regular. That's not bad. That's not bad yeah, at all. I, I mean, I was paying six dollars for super, close to seven at times. I it was just ridiculous. Super and that shit. What the next? Well, oh, I stopped. Know? I start. I went right to regular, and I'm like, this yeah. is what it is at this point. Let's go. Yeah. Let's do it. What do we got up Let's next? Go. We have, and I just had it because I'm a Taco Bell fan. We've been talking about Taco Bell, man. Last, last I episode. love Taco Bell. And, and part of why I wanted to bring this up was we talked about Chipotle Moe's, which is good, and the other one, Dos Toros. How the fuck did we not talk about Taco Bell? Taco Dude. Bell is the originer, re- originator of the Mexican fast food chains. It is. And not only do I feel like they've upped their game in food quality, because I actually think they're exceptional and underrated. Um, I love this marketing campaign and I just had to talk about it and I think they're doing great Taco Bell. Taco, yeah. Taco Bell. Number one, they're, they've renovated all their restaurants. I don't know if you've noticed that. They and have. They uh, listen, are... I go to Taco Bell every Tuesday. I do my Taco Tuesday on oh, TikTok with Taco Bell. It's okay. a whole thing. It's great. I even get the guy in the window involved. It's awesome. That's awesome. So Taco Bell fans were able to vote on the comeback of two favorite they menu were. items. And they were. it really took off such a simple thing, you know? The matchup between the Enchirito and the double-decker taco. I, I don't remember the Enchirito. Oh, yes, I do. That was with the red sauce. I definitely remember the double-decker taco because yes. that was pretty big back in our Pret drinking days. I'm sure I knocked back a few of them, too. <laughs> I used to hit up that disgusting Taco Bell that was in – the one over in Penn that was there was like a Roy Rogers next to it and oh, yes. that once. Yeah, but God here's the thing. I will the not eat Taco Bell in the boroughs. I will not eat Taco Bell in the boroughs. I don't trust it. There's no way. I just have Taco Bell that I go to in Long Island and that's it. You will never uh, catch me in a Taco Bell in any of the boroughs. Not gonna yeah. happen. 
No, I did that one one AM Taco Bell at Penn Station. That's not even there anymore now. No, jeez, Penn Station has so changed. But let me so. tell you something. You know, Taco Bell with their comeback with their two items and having their you know their customers uh, vote to see which one they're going to put on the menu. That speaks to the whole technology and the app piece because Taco Bell yep. was never really big into the app. into the And their app was really crappy a couple of years ago. It was just, right. it wasn't easy to navigate. And I have their app now and it is it has evolved so much since 2020, 2019 that they're utilizing it as a marketing tactic, obviously, like everybody else does. But let me tell you something. They did really, really well with their app design, and it's extremely user-friendly. And I like all the different types of offers they have, and especially that you have the voting capability now. So, Agree. As soon as I read this article, the first thing I did was download the app and see what, what was going on with it. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great app. Great idea. I will say I think part of why this took off was because they're – this is new. Nobody's done this yet. Nobody's done vote vote for a food item through the app. No, no, not that I already. Nope. So good, good job, Taco Bell. Give Taco, Taco Bell. Bell a shout out for a, a great marketing thing. And I have, um, I have to give Taco Bell a shout out really quickly. Another customer no. service piece to speak. Uh, customer service piece for Taco Bell. So about a couple of weeks ago, I was doing my TikTok for Taco Tuesday, and mm -hmm. I roll up, and the guy's like, "Can you hold, please?" I was on hold on that line for less than 20 seconds, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, uh, can I take your order? I'm like, yeah, can I get two hard tacos, a Mexi melt, and that's it. And they don't even mm -hmm. have Mexi melt anymore. The guy made it for me, right? I get up to the window. This guy comes right up. He just like does like a beeline for the window. And I'm like, oh, no, what happened? I got, I got a little nervous. I rolled down the window. He's like, I want to apologize for making you wait as long as you did. I looked at him, and I was like, Dude, you, I waited five seconds. And he goes, that is unacceptable, and I am so sorry. And he goes, I said, well, I'm, I said, listen, I said, it's not a big deal. I'm doing this for a TikTok. He goes, even better, guy hooked me up with a couple of free taco vouchers. Did he really? And he was so apologetic that I waited like five, I mean, literally, it was 20 seconds. I didn't even realize how long it was. And he, he pulled it up, and he goes, you waited, I think he said, like 19, 20 seconds. Right. For, 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 for me to place my order. And I was like, I'm so unbothered by this. You have no idea, but I appreciate you recognizing it and yeah. you don't have to give me any free tacos. He's like, no, please. He goes, and you're so pleasant and you're funny. I'm like, Hey, thanks. And that was it. Probably the most pleasurable experience I've ever had at a QSR restaurant. Yeah. It's, 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 although you don't really see service. So one thing, you know, we always talk about Pret. Pret was the first time I ever thought of QSR and service, but you don't see it that too often. And people no, are noticing it. You know, not you to go off on a ta tangent, it's not on the agenda, but we'll talk about it. I went to a Chick-fil-A when I was down in Florida, and maybe you do when you see your parents. They love, actually, it actually had a door. So the drive through they opened the door. You don't walk up to a window, and they walk it to your car like they're serving you. So it's a drive through I remember that. That made, I think it was a new thing like they just launched. And I thought that was like, damn, we're really. Uh, well, they have Chick-fil-A by me here on Long Island. Mm. The first time I went to Chick-fil-A was in Texas. My nieces love Chick-fil-A. Absolutely love Chick-fil-A. And Do every really time they have. I don't get it, but yeah. yeah they you. have a little get together. There's Chick-fil-A catered at the house. It's okay. It's, it's a whole big to do. 
And then they opened up Chick-fil-A in Long Island. And then I door dashed it. And obviously it was excellent because Chick-fil-A. Um, but I want to go now. I want to go check out their drive-thru. Because when I used to go to the drive-thru in, in Texas, let me tell you something. They take their drive-thru so serious. Because you got they got their people out there in the rain with their little rain huts on. And they're mm -hmm. taking orders. And it's so organized and efficient. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So I That's need to, good. I want to go check out and see the door where people come out and throw you food. I need There's to. a whole other science to behind the drive through thing. Dude, it's a which, whole which other operating. It is. Uh, it's crazy. It is crazy. You cannot you know, operate your to-go as you operate your dining room or your no, counter service. And the drive through and you're operating your business outside of the building. Yeah. And it's a big part of that that's happening, which is kind yep. of weird. And you know what? A lot of places really ignore their drive through but that's the that's like 80% of their sales, 90% yeah, you know of their it? sales. Chick-fil-A. And they're known for their service. You know, like what fast food restaurant is known for their service? None of them. You're not. I go, You're not. I went, there's one by my house. And I honestly, and I'm talking, about, I don't love it. I, I go there. I don't get it. I don't hate it, but I don't get it. I'm like, it's fast food chicken. It's not like... Those nicer brands of quick so serve, good. but so hey, good. you know you're one of those people. But uh, yeah, nothing wrong with that. Obviously, yeah. I'm in the minority. I like it. I don't love it. Some I don't hate it. Right. Um, but anyway, so I just remember being at Chick Fil A down in Florida, and the person comes up to you, and the guy was kind of like nice guy, a little weird, and all of a sudden this guy stands at you. I got your order, and we're like, what the fuck? And we we look around, they're like there's a friggin' door on the side of the building, and they're like bringing it up to you. But oh, anyway. Wow. Back to the what the one in Jersey, like even when I go there, it's like, yeah, you walk in, you do the order, they don't make a mistake, you sit down, and the food hits the table in like three minutes. Yeah, Damn it. and that has happened every single time I've ever gone into that restaurant. They have yeah. never messed that up. Do you so know they, that, they that uh, drive-throughs will prioritize those orders over walk-ins now? Yes. Oh yeah. Well, since COVID, that's probably become yeah. You know, there's that, that saying, you got to train your guest, right? We've probably, yep. people are still trained right now to use drive throughs even more. Yes. You know, it was tough about we growing up. drive through was something I did when I was drunk and should have been driving anyway. That was pretty much. Dude, I would hit up White Castle. I would get a yeah. sack of burgers, chicken rings, mm -hmm. and uh, clam strips. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was my thing after I went out drinking. Yeah. That was my thing. You did the clam strips. <laughs> I did the clam person. strips are so freaking good. Mm. They're frozen. I mean, yeah, it, they're frozen. And they nice. just dump them in a deep fryer. You're it's like having it. Friendly's clam strips. Friendly's clam strips is frozen in a pre-portioned bag. You throw it in the deep fryer. It's done in like three minutes and that's it. Eh, whatever. That's it. So before we move on to the next topic, if I could recommend something, as I always tout for White Castle, get the goddamn yeah. breakfast. Holy shit. White Castle breakfast? Oh yeah, it's so good. You get the the thing on the waffle. It's like it's like the McRiddle 2.0. Oh, I gotta try it. I was in Florida with a friend. This is when we went. We were to, to two places, and we're down there. And he's like, "Oh, we're gonna do for breakfast. Let's go to White Castle." I looked at him. I'm like, what the I would have never had it. If Who it wants a freaking burger? Right. <laughs> it the hash browns. I'm telling you, go to White Castle for breakfast. You won't I regret can't. it. Unbelievable. So anyway, White Castle. I'll be sending you a bill. By the way. Just yeah. So you know, for the shout exactly. out. Exactly. That's it. You know, we had some great the supply chain, restaurant prices increase, high labor costs, high costs going up. Um, I think that 
you know, and I, I want to circle back on your point, Christine, that you said about managing the P&L. And we have, there's some good content available in previous episodes that we've done in terms of P&L management and what to look at. But yeah. now more than ever, operators need to really have good projections to align with where they want to go with for as prices increase. So what I'm saying is if I'm writing a budget and even if I, if I owned a deli, I would have a budget. Right. Six months from now, I would factor what my costs will look like right. with an adjusted increase in costs based off of the trends that I'm seeing, which isn't a way we've typically actually crazy as it is. We've wrote budgets in our industry, which you would have thought we've been doing that for a long time, but exactly. we don't. Right. That's one area where like I, I say we operate restaurants very smart and even large companies very stupid sometimes, you know, right. so many times we get caught with our pants down. Um, and we just get hit with these with these increases. A friend of mine is a district manager for um, the hell is it Smashburger, and he was like, they buy their ground beef from whatever company, and it's under contract. And the company just went in and said, "Listen, this is what we're charging you for burgers." And they were like, "Well, we don't have we have a contract." And uh, I was like, "Well, we don't care. This is what we're charging you. If you want your meat, this is what you're going to pay. See you in court. That's it." Ah, you know because companies need to survive. So we got to start thinking about that. We need to, if you're running an effective restaurant, you need to dial in on what your, where your money's going, how your cash flow is lined up to your profit and loss statement, understanding what your costs are and being innovative in ways of understanding how you can control that P&L and getting creative. Um, hit the big rocks, food cost, productivity out of your team, but the number one thing you got to focus on is great service and increasing your top line sales, hundred percent. Absolutely, you're increasing your guest count, you will stay in business for the long term. Absolutely. So that brings us into the main course of the show. The main course of the show: how to how hire to... and retain people. That's kind it. Of That's what we into. So what, what we, we were do. talking about, you know. So there's really, um, I call the the name of this episode is the nuclear labor cost. And because it's a nuclear holocaust of labor, you know, people don't want to, COVID changed our industry yes. for whatever reason. Drastically. The restaurant industry got the unfair brunt <laughs> of a lot of hourly positions, you know, yes. retail didn't get hit the way that we do. And I would argue that retail is probably, I would never, as bad as restaurant management hours are, I would never want to be a friggin' retail manager. You know, I did a day in the life. A lot of people probably don't know this, but when you work for chain restaurants before you're hired, they generally make you go in and spend four to five hours in the concept to see if you'll like it and to see if they like you. Really, it's more to see if they like you and observe you. I, I, when I was looking around at one point in my career, I said, let me try Trader Joe's because I heard they're a great company to work for. I went there. I showed up. I had the friggin' Hawaiian shirt on to play the part, to be, to be a store man, or I, they call it captain. It was supposed to be a four-hour thing, hour and a half in. I walked out. I said to the guy, I said, oh, this isn't for me. They're like, no, no, what do you do? I said, no, I said, I'm not going to waste your time. I said, this isn't for me. Right. Retailers, I'm a, I'm a restaurant guy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but the biggest thing, guys, is right now the name of the game is how to hire and how to retain people. Yep. And I think that right now, and I hate to say it, it's a little bit about building relationships with the people that you have, you know, um, look at your staff. This is how I have actually always coached, you know, 
especially from an from a area leader, whatever level, you ever have a GM who like wants to fire all their managers? Oh yeah. And I'm oh, like, yeah. well, first off, that's half the time that's a GM blaming you for the problem, blaming their team for the problems that they create. One of my lines I always tell GMs is said that you are the root cause of your problems and the only solution to your problems as well. Correct. And start with the culture, but also, you know, it, when it comes to building relationships with those people, it's like, so you want to replace everybody and then just replace them with another group of people who's going to have the same shit as the old people that you replaced half the time. It's just a so, vicious cycle. And, right. you know, companies, you know, they, they tout their culture. Like we have the best culture. Okay, great. You have the best culture, but do you live those values every single day? Do yeah. you, do you talk about it when, when, when executive leaders or district managers or DOs walk into the restaurants, are they the face of what culture is right. nine times out of 10? And I was part of a company who went ahead and, you know, revamped this entire culture piece, but spent a lot of money behind it, mm -hmm. did amazing training sessions, but then that was it. Mm -hmm. It just fell off. Yeah. And it falls off. Nobody bought into it. There was no engagement after the fact. You know, the CEO or the, you know, whoever would walk in and would not, didn't, they didn't hype up the culture. They didn't walk and breathe the culture. And it was the same old. And it's right. like, don't use culture as a temporary band aid because it's going to backfire in your face. Right. Yeah. And we did an episode on culture. We did. Right. And values and mission and so on and so forth. It's so important to make sure you get that piece right. So important. And you need right. to be consistent with it. Absolutely. You have to be so, consistent. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you said that and brought up that point because I have a similar story. I work for a well, macaroni grill. They mm -hmm. had about 400 restaurants going strong. They decided yeah. to reinvent the culture. They yeah. literally went by market by market, pulled bartenders, servers and cooks, put them in hotels, had this big two-day thing yeah. in all 30 states, right. millions and millions of dollars. We all went back to the same old right after, and now they're down to 40 locations, I think. Well, LPQ is the company that I work for that revamped their whole culture piece, and mm -hmm. it, just, it was just a waste of everybody's time and money because they never right. lived it, you they know? They never lived it. And they it cycled matter. through it again, and they've closed down the majority of their, of their locations. And that's they what just, happens. It's just horrible. You are the person to change agent to bring the culture to life. Otherwise, yeah. it's just some BS thing you hang on the wall in your kitchen that collects dust and grease. Yep, that that's you it. Clean every now and then. That's it. You know, and the, the next thing is very important is that you train your people. You know, too many times yes. I think we look and we take training as a necessary evil when operating a restaurant. When really, it's lead the horse to water. It's not just lead a horse to water. You got to make them thirsty. You know, exactly. Training exactly. Is an ongoing process that that goes on, and I, and especially now, and that's something I, that I was reading in some HR magazine, specifically to our industry, is that the guest applicant flow isn't what it was in even 2019. However, right. the people that do want to work in our industry are looking for more of a continued education. Yep which can be good, can be bad. You remember when we worked in full service restaurants, I've served, I've cooked, you know, you filled out a job for a serving position, give a shit about what you were learning. You want to make cash, get drunk. That's fuck, it. Young, dumb, young, dumb, full of cum. You ever hear that say, you know what I mean? I and just make right money. <laughs> so, and that's, that's what, that's what it was, you know? And nobody was really looking to like, what am I going to get out of this thing? 
right. people are looking for that now because that's the new thing. That's that's we we like the majority of our staff speak to a younger crowd and they want to make an impact. So how can we be a part of helping them make an impact? They want and, that feedback. They want to know how they're doing. They want right. the feel good conversation. That's just the generation that's out there right now. And again, right. to go back to what you said, it's not like how we were back in the day. We right. didn't care. We just wanted to make money and see how quickly we can move up and who we could push out of the way while we were doing it. And yep. we made our careers. I right. didn't I didn't need someone to pat me on the back and be like, hey, Chris, you're doing a great job. I could care less. Right. Oh, no, you remember, trained me, you trained me. You didn't, you didn't. I kind of figured it out as I went along and that's it. But now right. it's very, very important. Training, culture, follow-up, delegation, use the sandwich effect, give them a positive, a negative, and a positive, and just continue with that feedback. And everything needs to be hands-on right now. Hands-on training Maybe. is a must. Hands-on training is a must, and they, they want the formality of those damn reviews. Yep. I've worked for companies where, like, oh, and you get a review in three months. Never happened ever once in could any kill us. And I could kill us. And I'll yep. be honest with you, I could kill us. You don't want to give yep. me and, – and, but you always talked about you're going to get a review every quarter. Yep. We're going to go over your progress. We're going to, you know, make the plan. And then there was 30, 60, 90s involved, which never happened, and nothing ever happened. Now, a paper right. trail – which is what I call it, is so important to these guys mm -hmm. that are in these positions, whether it's right. hourly, management, or even executive level. A paper trail, they want the feedback, they want their reviews, they want their 30, 60, 90s because they have it. It's in their hands. They can monitor their, their progress, and they could utilize it to help them move up and learn in the company. And I think it's super important now for companies to recognize that. Next thing, I think this is important. Boil it down to before you bring the people on that you're going to train. I think you got to hire less people more often. No yes. more. I would I would go to my board as to how I operate and erase mass hiring off of the playing out of the playbook. You can't do that anymore because people want to feel like you give a shit. Yep. For lack of a better term. Yeah. And just in, hire the right person. Be more intentful about the people that you're screening and then just get these friggin' people in your restaurant and train them and keep them, you know, they want to feel valued. Um, I remember my first GM conference I ever went to down in DC and they said, and this was a long time ago, but maybe they were a little ahead of their time, but they were like, Oh, you know, they're like, everybody works for you, not the brand. And they want to feel an emotional connection to the general manager. And I was like 24, you know, and I left there and I was like an emotional connection. What the fuck are you? You know what I mean? Like, like you, like this stuff. And now I'm telling you, that is what matters. That is, that is what matters. We got, you got to build a relationship with your team, hire less people more often, make the beginning of your, their employment with you count and start yeah. to retain them. Absolutely. Um, I used to, back in the day, I, when I was a GM of the Applebee's at Times Square, I used to call my shitty employees vampires. So I do this blood in, sucking because they're blood <laughs> sucking. And I used, to, I used to, and no matter how happy and fluffy <laughs> we need to make things, we never want to be too high of turnover. However, for what we do and keeping things fresh, I think that are, that there is a healthy amount of turnover to help keep your business relevant. And although the labor laws and have changed, and it's some in some cases it's harder to turn people. 
I used to tell my managers, and I had a big management team there, and I think I had like 15 managers all together. This was a big place. Said, the second you hear a bartender say, that's my shift, fire him. The second, <laughs> and I want to say this, I said, the second you hear a server say, all I do for this place, show them the door. Yep. The second they're, that they're complaining, I would have servers who would work the breakfast shift. They'd come in at 6 a.m., be done at 11.30, and make $150 and whine about it with their whole day in front of them. I'd be like, term them. Those are the vampires. Yep. They suck the blood and the life out of the staff. So I would always say in my manager meetings, who's the vampires? Get rid of them. We can't have any blood suckers. It's on the restaurant team. cancer that just spreads and just yep. creates that environment. And those are the yep. people you need to 86. And you know who they are right away. Mm-hmm. You know Absolutely. exactly who they are. I'm old school. You know, on some levels, when it comes to hourly employees, there's the ones that you love. And we all have our opportunities as management. I had a director once tell me that the people that I like, Maybe I like them a little too hard. And the people that I hate, maybe I hate them a little too hard. And sometimes it was relevant. And I was a lot younger. But it was also kind of true. And I didn't want to hear it at the time. Right. So maybe I'm not the best person. But I do believe that you need to have a top five and a bottom five. Oh, absolutely. And always. You need to always be removing the bottom five people. Always. Always. Because they're the one that's going to stale the place up. And they're absolutely. the one that's going to wind up dragging you down. And um, and I definitely can say through my career as a general manager, I've had conversations with managers to say, oh, you're my bar manager. Why does Joanne still work here? You know? Right. Well, yeah. I saw, I, I walked in today and I threw up a little in my mouth as I was walking through the lobby to go to the office. I literally would say that to them. <laughs> I'm like, I would give them like firing deadlines. Maybe that's a little too hard, but I'd be like, you know, by next Tuesday... <laughs> By noon, I better not see her in this goddamn building. I would tell my managers, you got two weeks to get rid of this person. Figure it out how you're going to do it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I gave timelines also. You have to, because if you don't, they become complacent because then they start to be, they start to create excuses right. for the team member. And unfortunately, right. and I know it's an, a big HR issue, like you should never do that. But on, in the restaurant world, it needs to happen. There's a yeah, timeline. There is a timeline. There is a timeline. And there's also signs of when you know you're going to be let go and we'll go through yeah. that in another episode but yeah well and i'm glad you brought that up though with the hr they don't like you to put timelines but as directors how many times have we put timelines on managers in conjunction with human resources i know i have please let me explain something to you back in the day there was no write you up three times for being late and then i could fire you on the fourth right. you just got terms and that's it now it's so because of the legal aspects of everything. And, mm -hmm. you know, New York, especially in New York, it's a very litigious state, especially with labor laws and, and employees and whoever, right. Mm -hmm. That they want to cover their basis so much. And I get it from a legal standpoint to protect the company, but at the end of the day, you're hurting the operations because you're allowing this individual to still work. Right. And look what it's doing to your business. So right. I'm not, I'm not a a firm believer of I got to write you up four times. If I tell you once and you do it again and you continue to do it, now you're just playing the system because you know what you can and cannot get away with. And there is right. when I lose respect for you. Right. And I don't want you anywhere near my team or my restaurants or anything because you're just playing the system at that point. And we've created that atmosphere as operators and as we HR have. departments. And it's it's horrible. It's horrible. I used to love being able to pull the trigger and be like, you're fired, get out. And it was yeah. done and over with, and I didn't need paperwork. Right. 
Well, those days are certainly gone and we do have to legally protect ourselves. But back to the positive thing of culture, and I will tell you that it is my belief that you need to take care of those that take care of you and you have a right as a manager to not allow those vampires to exist. Correct. So as much as it sounds like that, I, that maybe we were a little harsh or being mean, I actually think that it's good leadership to ensure that the good people are taken care of and, Absolutely. and making sure that they have the right people, the Absolutely. right tools, and which is the last piece. They give them the right tools to do their job and the right people to work with to get the job done. Absolutely. I agree a thousand percent. A thousand that, percent. I think we've hit top of the half hour, Christine. I'm ready to wrap a bow on this. As always, it's been a pleasure seeing your face. Same here. Same here. So, to be on for our listeners. I know, right? So, folks, thank you for listening. Please check us out on Apple and Spotify podcasts and YouTube. Tonight's podcast was brought to you by Hospitality News Magazine. Hospitality News Media is an association advocate that looks to build long-term partnerships with a personal touch, helping your hospitality business grow and connect through our associations and network-driven array of digital and print media platforms. Our passionate team looks to build brands, promote products, and highlight those industry leaders focusing on hospitality, food service, and the beverage industry. Then partnering with our clients to help fit into their budgets and bring them exposure. Hospitality News, bringing the industry together.